0: The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyoursconference.com. You know, we've all had leaders in our lives of various types, various persuasions, that type thing. You know, whether it's government officials, you know, some of you've had a lot more leadership from the cops. Than you ever wanted to get. You know, my personal testimony would be: I've had a lot of leadership from game wardens, you know, uh, all kind of, you know, citations, fines, you know, uh, confiscation of items and that type of thing from my life. You know, that's not the kind of leadership I wanted, but it's a type of leadership that I've received. You know, you've got parents that are a type of leader, grandparents are a type of leader. I think it's safe to say we've all had teachers, professors, who are kind of a class of leader. And if you think about that last maybe subsection of leader, uh, teachers, I've always kind of categ- had subcategories of those types of people. You know, there's like the distracted professor. You know, who knows what the lesson in history was supposed to be that day? Because the professor's family, Cat Mittens, you know, ran off last night, and he's going to come in there for about 20 or 30 minutes, and that home dog is going to begin telling us all about, you know, where she went, what happened to her, why their kids are a disaster, how they hope to get it back, and that type of thing. You know, I've had, I don't know if you had the mumbler type of professor. You know, one of my calculus professors one time, imagine four giant chalkboards right here behind me, and every day that cat would come in there left and work his way down to the bottom right and and 250 people in lecture hall and this is all you heard (laughs) and when he finally got 30 minutes later the board filled up with triple integrals and whatnot he turns to the class and says the only audible words you see it's like, no, bro, we don't see. We don't see anything nobody sees because we can't hear anything you're saying. But, you know, the one thing that I could always count on, the one constant was that every one of my physics professors. We're going to come in there looking like they just gotten into a fight with a giant blender and lost the fight, you know. Oh, what, chalk dust on my hands? No problem. That's what this shirt's for. Uh, Oh, no, need a pencil? No problem, I got you. Right here in the recesses of my beard that Father Time would be jealous of, you know. Or back here, back here in the back of my hair that hasn't seen a comb in eight months, you know. But, you know, no, no matter what, you know, it doesn't seem like all those classes would be equally important to you. It really kind of all depended on the class, right? In other words, hey, I was a chemical engineering major. U.S. history? Sure, tell me another story about mittens. You know, I don't care. Uh, But when we got to differential equations, organic three, thermo two, hey man, I'm really wanting some good leadership from you. This is really important to me. So in that light, I'd like to ask you this. What about worship? How important is that subject to you? You know, Moochie spent a lot of time trying to press home to you and I the idea that worship is of fundamental importance to us. That is something that all people are doing. They're always worshiping something and everybody is a worshiper. If I went over to the Milwaukee airport right now, I'm sure I wouldn't see anybody that I know. Everybody would be a stranger to me, but I would know this about every one of them. That they're all worshipers. And they're all worshiping all the time. So think about it for a second. If if I'm wanting leadership in the areas that are the most important to me, and if Moochie's right that worship is arguably the most important thing that you and I ever do, and we're doing it all the time, then you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. I mean, you could be as dumb as rocks. You could be Paul Potet. And figure out that that means, the conclusion therefore, be that, man, I want leadership in worship. That that's where I need leadership the most. is in the most important, most fundamental thing in my life. My shape is that I'm a worshiper. And that's where I need leadership the most. Now, when most people think of getting leadership in worship, The thing that they think about is if you go to a church or whatever, they think about going back home. They think about, you know, the guy who's leading them in worship at their church. Or they think about Kyle Zeman from the Kyle Zeman Band, you know, at the New Year's conference, you know, and that type thing. And look, in this type of situation, everything's great, right? Think about it. I am a worshiper. That's I'm going to do it. I'm made to do it worship is really important i've come into the rally my soul is coming here knowing hey man we're fixing to worship like we're we're geared up we're prepared to worship kyle and the kyle zeman band you know they've been practicing and getting ready and they've got a lot of skill to do it so bro this is fixing to be cadillac right when I come in here, this is, the, we're fixing to put the A in awesome in this kind of experience. But think about it for a second. So you say, may say, Mike, well then what's the problem? The problem is, what about five hours from now? See, five hours from now, worship is still really important to me. I'm still a worshiper. But now I don't have Kyle anymore. I'm still worshiping. Worship's still really important. But I don't know where Kyle is. He could be anywhere. He he could take the band on tour, but he ain't with me. I hope you're catching what I'm pitching here. What I'm suggesting is, is now there's a leadership vacuum in my life. And it's not one that exists only five hours from now. What about Next Monday at 9 a.m. What about next Thursday at 6 o'clock? What about four weeks from now, Saturday night at 11 o'clock? I'm still worshiping. Worship's still important, but I don't have Kyle anymore. And the psalmist in Psalm 103 I think has something to say to you and to me about that leadership vacuum. And so Muchi talked about the psalm in one of his talks, and I want to kind of go back to that for just a minute. Psalm 103, and this is what the psalmist says: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Okay, so if Kyle comes in here, and he says, bless the Lord, all you conferencees, I mean, he would never say anything stupid like that, but if he says, bless the Lord, you jokers, whatever, back, what's he doing? He's leading us in worship. But if Kyle stands up here and says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, Now who's he leading? He's leading himself. He's leading his own soul in worship. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 103. He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The psalmist is taking his own soul in hand and leading it to worship. And this is not the only place, Hoss. That we see the psalmist doing this. Psalm 42. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Why so distraught within me? The psalmist sees his soul wandering off somewhere. That he doesn't want it to go. That it doesn't need to go. And he takes his soul in hand and says, no, we're we're going over here. We're going over here to worship the Lord. He he doesn't just sit there and listen to what his own soul has to say. He begins to give his soul the leadership that it needs. The leadership to worship the Lord. And he begins to speak back to what his own soul is beginning to spit out. As it spits it out. Time and time again. And see, this becomes all the more important when you and I realize the significance of the position that we hold in our own lives. Because outside of the Holy Spirit, we are arguably the most effective leaders that we have. Think about it. I am with me all the time. I can't can't get away from me. And man, I've tried. I love all my own thoughts. You know, I find all my most insightful ideas really insightful. You know, I receive critical feedback from myself like a champ. Man, I just can take it. And so, if I am that effective of a leader, of myself, then that makes me a really important leader of myself. Outside of the Holy Spirit, probably the most important leader that I have. And so let me, let me ask you this. When you begin to see your own soul wandering off over here into bitterness and to resentment and to jealousy and to anger, what do you do? Do you just let it wander over there? Or do you say, no, no, no. And you take your soul in hand and you begin to say, No, now's the time to confess and to repent and to worship the Lord. When you begin to see fear and anxiety and dread in your own life, do you just let it go? Or do you say, No, and you take your soul in hand? Just like the psalmist and begin to say, no, I am going to go worship the Lord. And you begin to drown your soul in God's promises of his goodness and his love and his sovereign care over your life. When you begin to see, just like the psalmist in Psalm 42, depression and becoming forlorn and despondency, do you begin to say, no, No, not now, not today, not within me. And you take your soul in hand and you begin to immerse it in who God is. And you begin to call out to him in worship. What kind of leader of your own soul will you be in 2018? Will you be the one telling your soul he's greater? And the psalmist isn't finished. Think about what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The psalmist is not content with lip service. He's not going to just give God lip service. The psalmist says, "No, not, not me, not within me. I'm bringing all that I am and all within me bless his holy name." The other day I was having breakfast with a student here. And he said, "Mike, I faced this very difficult decision in my life the other day, but the thing that I realized was I wasn't just important wasn't worried about the importance of the decision but also how important my motives were in the decision that I was making. I was afraid that I was making my decision for poor motives. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. It's not just on the surface with me, Haas. No, we're going all the way down. My deepest allegiances, my most powerful desires, my strongest motives, my entire catalog of all my thoughts, Any and every emotion, every action and word, I'm laying my entire soul bare before the Lord in worship. The psalmist is defending himself against the rebuke that God's people find in Isaiah 29 when God says, These people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Now, in our day, when we hear somebody rebuking us or even standing off and kind of looking at what we're doing, thinking, man, I don't know if you ought to do it like that and have some kind of critical take on our lives. That person's always labeled what? Hater. They're a hater. No, God is not a hater. Listen, please listen. God is not a hater. When he comes to me and he comes to you and says, don't just give me your lip service. I want it all. Imagine this. Imagine three-year-old Jimmy, little Jimmy, running through the backyard. And he's chasing his buddy, Billy, with a used syringe that he found in, in the alleyway out back. And Jimmy's mama sees him there. She spies him out, man, through the back window. What's she going to do? She's going to come busting out there and say, drop it, Jimmy. Drop the syringe. And what if Jimmy did this? What if he just goes, throws it up in there? Hater's going to hate. No, bro. She doesn't hate you. What does she know? What does Jimmy's mama know? She knows how Jimmy was made. And she knows that he and little Billy, they weren't made for those use syringe. And he's about to destroy something that's really important. And God knows the same thing that guy at breakfast knew with me the other day. He knows that if you and I begin to set a trajectory in our life where all we're doing is paying lip service to him, it's going to destroy us. And so because he loves me and he loves you, he comes and rebukes us for that and says, no, I want it all. And the psalmist is saying, Hoss, you're fixing it. Get it. all, Everything. All that I am. But the psalmist isn't done yet, right? Because look at what he says. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Look, when I come to my soul and I say, no, 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 We're not wandering off here in idolatry. We're not going to begin worshiping lesser things, porn, money, family, friends, our performance of things. No, we're going over here to worship the Lord. Eventually, my soul is going to come back to me and say, chief, I need some reasons. I need to know why I should worship the Lord. Because I know why I should worship money. I'm told that every day. I know why I should worship my grades, my GPA, what my family thinks, what my friends think. I'm told the great fruit I'm going to get out of worshiping them all the time. Why should I worship the Lord? And look at what the psalmist does here in Psalm 103. He's got both barrels loaded. And he begins firing them off right in his own soul. And for. And forget not all his benefits, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth may renew like the eagles. Look, God's not some beggar. He's greater. It's just like Moochie said the very first night that any understanding of God that doesn't lead me to worship him is a misunderstanding. The psalmist has all the reasons in the world to say God's greater than all these things, and he just begins firing them off right at himself. Well, what would be the fruit? What would be the result, the consequences of giving my soul this type of leadership over and over again this upcoming year. And I want to suggest at least two things. One, that it will transform my life. And secondly, that it will begin to draw me into God. And I want to explain what that means with a verse, a story, an illustration, and we're done. First, the verse. Psalm 115.8. The psalmist is writing about people who make idols. little bitty statues that people are worshipping literally. And he says, those who make them will be like them, as will all who trust in them. And his point is, is that you and I become like the thing that we worship. When we begin worshiping and putting our deepest trust and allegiance in something, we begin to become like that. So hold that principle. That's the verse. Now the story. I'm sure a lot of you last night heard a lot more more about your summer project than maybe you ever wanted to. You probably got hosed down pretty good. And it's always framed like it's some kind of great spiritual whatever. But a lot of times, it's just full of silliness, you know, and tomfoolery and that kind of thing. And guess who's always leading the charge on that? People like Paul Poteet, the staff, those kind of people are always the people on the summer projects full of silliness and meaningless and that type of thing. And when my my daughter was one and my son was three, I was the summer project director, and there were there had been a, there had been a, a stupid commercial, on TV NBA commercial where this guy, you know, this dude on the commercial, he was like, um, you know, I just, you don't need to know the context. His point was, I just said that, yo, and he had kind of the hand, you know, the ghetto hand sign or whatever. I just said that, yo, and so the staff picked that stupid little phrase up and ran with it all summer, on our summer project. And I, let me say this, and it was used context less in other words they would say it at whatever time here i am i'm leading you know the staff uh planning meeting and i'm in the middle of going on and explaining something and one of those guys i just said that yo it's like no you didn't just say that you haven't said anything for 20 minutes you had said nothing. I've been up here explaining this stuff, and you just ruined my staff meeting. But every, And every time they did it, every time one of those guys would be in the middle. I, I was giving a talk one night. I just said that, yo, and it was one of the staff. It's like, shut up. <laughs> you didn't just say anything. I've been up here for 15 minutes. And every time they did it, it was this uproarious laughter. <laughs> Everybody's laughing except me, right? Because they're screwing my whole world up. Okay, so get the picture. So for five weeks, my three-year-old son, Little Knox, is watching these guys who he really admires and respects doing something really dumb. I just said that, yo. you know. So for five weeks, he's watching that happen. And see... The staff are so kind to Knox and Katie Beth, it's gross, okay? I mean, they're really, really nice to them. Okay, so fast forward to tape. Five weeks, we're traveling back home. We're going through the motherland, Atlanta. Let's, we stop off to see my, my wife's parents. And at this point, the thing to know about Knox is the sun rose and the sun set on food. One thing. What's the the axis his world is revolving around? Food. Okay, so, and we're going into a restaurant with Stacy's parents. And see, he's old enough now to know what a restaurant means. Forget Disney World, bro. This is Magic Kingdom right here, this restaurant. (laughs) We're fixing to celebrate, you know. And so, as soon as he sits down, he's looking around for, you know, who the person who brings down the heavenly bliss, you know, the waiter. And so, so... As soon as he, she didn't have to get his attention because as soon as she comes around the corner, he's got tractor beam on her, and she comes over here, you know, can I get you guys anything to drink? I just said that, yo. I mean, right in her face. I was got giant, you know, she's looking around. My Stacy's parents are like, no, what is that? You know, that guy, that, what's happening? Who are you raising? You know, what was happening? What was happening was natural. Knox has seen someone that he has tremendous admiration for. He thinks they're great. And they've been unbelievably kind to him. And so he's becoming just like them. He wants to become just like them. Now the illustration. When I do this, Why don't I keep going up? And I know what you're thinking. Because you got no game, MJ. I know I got no game. Okay. But aside from the fact, aside from the fact that I got no game. We all know I got no game. Okay. That's why I don't keep going up. But what else? You know, well, we started this thing talking about physics teachers, right? And you know, Newton would come along and say, I'll tell you why you don't keep going up. Because this mama right here. Your body sees this thing as massive. Your body sees this thing as greater than everything else around it and is pulling you in. And that pull toward itself is proportional to how great your body experiences this thing to be. What is happening here in Psalm 103? I'll tell you what's happening. The psalmist is coming and he's leading his soul and he's bringing everything he has and he's painting himself a picture of God and how great he is. And he's taking his soul and he's holding up and he's saying, do you see that? Do you see how great the Lord is? Do you see how wonderful, how sublime, how magnanimous the Lord is? Look at that. And see him And it's changing his life. And it's drawing him in to the greatest thing in his world. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyoursconference.com.